Welcome to another installment of the Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers What We Learned in the Markets This Week video. We aim to provide you, our valued clients, with a brief video giving you information that is helpful to your understanding of the markets from a biblical worldview with no financial agenda, which makes us uniquely different from the news media in America. This video is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make investment decisions. The clients of Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in today's video. All opinions discussed are solely those of John Mark Young and not those of Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers. Hi, welcome back to what we learned in the markets this week. I'm John Mark Young. Now, there are things that sometimes the markets need to hear or see to reaffirm a widely held belief. And when those events happen, where those things are said, the market responds and typically responds in a big, big way. The December meeting of the Federal Reserve was the perfect opportunity for one of those above mentioned events to happen. Federal Reserve President Jerome Powell did what we've been needing and asking him to do. Admit that beyond housing and beyond auto purchasing and leasing and things tied to autos, inflation has been defeated. So he needs to turn dovish, meaning take off the table any more aggressive rate hiking actions. Just say we're not going to do that. I would argue rate cuts are also not the right answer at this point in time, but the market thinks otherwise. And during last month's CPI report, nearly every major category that's tracked came in at a zero CPI month over month reading, except for housing and autos. Uh, Tuition, for example, zero inflation month over month. Auto or motor vehicle parts, zero inflation month over month. Health insurance, for example, 0.01 increase month over month, almost nothing. Personal care products, negative 0.1 decrease month over month. Housing or shelter came in at 0.21, and used cars came in at 0.05 increase month over month. Car insurance was another gainer in the auto category, but suffice to say, for the most part, we've beaten inflation, and now housing and autos are starting to come down faster relative to where they were. However, taken all together, the core rate comes in at 0.28, and that annualizes right around 3%. Now, you might be wondering, aren't they typically saying they want to target 2% inflation? Well, in my opinion, That's what they're saying, but they might be okay with an inflation rate closer to three. Why? Because inflation takes a fixed debt, like a mortgage or like government debt, and makes it less and less terrible over time. Think about it this way. If grandma bought her house in the 1970s for $30,000 and her payment was around $300 over 30 years amortized with taxes and insurance, uh, which was the average payment at the time, by the time the 2000s rolled around and and, and normal inflation did its work, that payment of $300... when she made her last payment, was significantly smaller as a portion of her budget than it was in 1970. Thus, the more inflation that is tolerable that we can deal with, the more inflation can help, and I mean help, politicians definitely need to deal with this as well too, but but it can help the debt problem. All that to say, Fed President Jerome Powell was much more dovish. The markets have been waiting for him to say that, and boom, now we're setting up for a wonderful year-end rally. We're probably going to see some sell the news type events over the next month. Something will come up that might push the market down a little bit, but it's setting up very nicely for an end of year rally. Now let's start digging into our weekly roundup of economic news in in our point number one. The first thing we look at each week is we consider what the Atlanta Fed's Federal Reserve GDP Now model tells us about where our economy growth is at in the current quarter, currently the fourth quarter of 2023. Last week's reading saw us drop into the 1% range. So where did it come in this week? Well, after a slew of releases from the Census Bureau, Labor Statistics, and the Treasury Department, we're now looking at quarter growth for the GDP rate 
of back in the twos, it came in at 2.6 for the quarter. And you'll notice the average forecast on Wall Street, they went the other way. They went down on their expectations. Now, remember, last quarter, the Atlanta Fed was only off by 0.1, and they were actually lower than the actual number when it got revised. And then the the Wall Street folks uh, who... normally embarrass themselves. Uh, no one calls them out for it, except for some of the small players like us. Um, I'm Lee, maybe. I'll tell you one Wall Street gr- group that I we love a ton, uh, and they're not wrong a lot, is Funstrap from Tom Lee. Listen to what he has to say, because he's normally right. He's on TV quite a bit as well, too. A few other things that we review each week. The initial claims for unemployment insurance. Now, that tracks how many people came onto the unemployment insurance rolls for the first time in this current week. The number came in at 202,000, which continues its trend back down after the normal summer bump we see, uh, just a seasonal pattern happening there. Additionally, we look at the continuing claims for unemployment insurance, the continuing claims. So if you keep people off of unemployment, that's great. But if you can't get the ones that are going on, the small number that are going on off the ranks of unemployment, then you're doing yourself a disaver disservice and and no favors. And those numbers came in at 1.87 million this week, staying within their recent range. Up a little bit, but not bad. And finally, let's look at the markets in this point number one. This is a good week. As you can see, the S&P 500, which tracks our growth and growth and income, but only when taken together, that was positive 2.49% for the week. The Russell 2000, get ready for this, which tracks small and mid-sized companies or aggressive growth in our Dave Ramsey vernacular, that was positive at an outstanding 5.48% this week. And finally, the MSCI EFA, EAFE, which tracks the international stocks and developed economies around the world, excluding the US, that was positive 1.64% for the week. And on to point number two. This week, the Federal Reserve held their December meeting, as discussed above. The expectation was that they would hold rates steady uh, for the third consecutive policy meeting. The last time we raised rates as a, as a country through the Federal Reserve. Uh, that was in July of this year. And if you remember from uh, my point a few weeks back, the forward-looking return one year for the S&P 500 after a rate hiking cycle has ended, which would be July, was 17% to the plus side. That means considering the market dropped 10% during July, August, September, and October, and has subsequently bounced right back, there is a historical precedence for the markets to go higher, notwithstanding any earnings growth, that is also precedence for pushing the market higher in 2024. At this point, the market expects three rate cuts in 2024. Uh, the cooling that the Federal Reserve has needed to see within the economy has happened without a major sell-off or economic hard landing, such as the private sector. Uh, we're still averaging about 130,000 new jobs every month during the last six months, and that's down from 228,000 new jobs the previous six-month period. So that's good, soft landing. As rates start to come down, that makes the financial markets easier easier because the cost of borrowing starts to become less for both consumers, the government, businesses. And one example of that is the 30-year mortgage rate. As a prime example, that has now come down from above 8% to to, to below 7% at this point. Uh, and, And the part of the conversation I found most interesting when Chair Powell was speaking this last week was the fact that he admitted if they leave rates too high for too long, he can damage the economy beyond what's needed and create more pain for the income class he claims to want to help so badly, which is the lower and middle income uh, tiers in America. He expects, uh, or or excuse me, his exact words were, we're aware of the risk that we would hang on too long. 
We're very focused on not making that mistake, end of quote. He said this even though officially their statement and their report says they're still going to be open to raising rates because in their opinion, it's too early to call victory on inflation. Well, I'll call it, but but their uh, government's not going to call it. Additionally, the same day of the meeting, we received early government data that told us uh, about the PCE numbers for this month, which if you watch this video, you know that's the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. It's the one that focuses on inflation based on what consumers are actually buying as opposed to a broad basket of goods, which some things we might not even be buying, which is what the CPI numbers are. Uh, and so um, they expect that to come in at 0.06. Now, if you take the last six months of PCE numbers, which is really when we started to see inflation start to come down May of this year, we're below the 2% target on the PCE side. Overall, as I discussed above, exactly what the markets wanted to see and hear from Fed President Jerome Powell and the Federal Open Reserve Market Committee. Point number three, the growth side of your portfolio is having an exceptional year, one of your four categories. If you use the NASDAQ 100 as our proxy for defining growth stocks for this very point, point number three, then we can understand some very interesting data in terms of historical patterns of what on what happens after a year like this. Now, remember, stocks ultimately are going to be trading off the growth of the company. Uh, is the company growing? Are their profits going? Is there future growth happening potentially? So looking at this is all pre predicated on ensuring that we don't have any event that potentially impedes the profitability of, of these growth companies. All right, so here we go. And all this data uh, is, is from 1972 to current. Um, and we're going to use, again, the NASDAQ 100 as our proxy for this, for growth stocks. Now, it has a one standard deviation return, the NASDAQ 100, of negative 13.2 and positive 38.1. That means last year's negative return of around 33.1 put the index outside of its one standard deviation returns. And this year's plus 41% return so far also puts it outside of its one standard deviation return, just on a different side, the upside. Now, how many years since 1972 has this happened? Have we gone outside of those deviations? Well, if, if I just take the declines to 10%, we've actually seen nine years with price returns of a loss of 10% or more. Two of those were in the 1970s, 1973 and 74, one in 1984, one in 1990, the Iraq invasion of Kuwait, three in the dot-com bursting of 2000, 2001, 2002, and our last was 2008, the financial crisis. Now, in considering the year after a plus one upside standard deviation move, uh, we've seen eight times the returns on the plus side have been in excess of one standard deviation, eight times. And when that happens, seven out of the eight times, we've seen a positive result the following year, the next year. The only year it did not happen, we did not get such a positive return, was when we had a standard deviation above 1990 and then the bursting of the dot-com bubble in 2000. The index has an average return of 18.1 in a year after such a substantially large move to the upside. But if you take out that 2000, that was negative, uh, which was, again, an event-driven moment in the market, the positive return is actually 26.3. What's the bottom line or reasoning to making this a point number, our point number three? Well, this is the growth side of your growth and income, aggressive growth and international allocation. History shows us that when the growth side has such a strong move to the upside, like it has this year, 41% so far, it's highly likely that we'll have another solid year in the category the following year, seven out of eight years. The positive momentum of the category looks like it could carry for another year. We don't actively recommend overweighting any of the four Dave categories, but based on this data, growth would probably be the one to do so if you were going to overweight any one category. And finally, point number four, concentration of the largest funds in America is of great concern for many investors and advisors alike 
and it's the news this very week. Now, why is it the news this very week? Well, it's in the news because Friday, December 15th today, major indexes are adding their new stocks, as we talked about on last week's video, to the S&P 500, for example, and there's lots of rebalancing happening, along with some options movement that's happening. It's, it's a convergence of a perfect storm. This brings the annual concentration conversation amongst advisors, market technicians, and, and the media uh, back to center stage. Why? Because the S&P 500 is now heavily weighted to just five companies, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, and Google. They make up 25% of the S&P 500. So imagine that, a market cap weighted index, which means the size of the company, relative to the size of other companies determines your weights. And so across the 500 companies in the S&P 500, five of them, or 1%, make up 25% of the index. Additionally, if you have a growth fund, that's even worse, a sole growth fund. Why? Six companies in most growth funds, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, Google, and Broadcom, make up 40% 40 of the NASDAQ 100 and 45% of the Russell 1000 growth. Yikes. This is why we at Whitaker Myers consider an index plus type of approach. We do use the S&P 500 and other indexes in many of our models. Absolutely. However, we pair it with smart risk. Take our moat strategy from our partners at Van Eck. There, they equally weight their investments across their portfolio using an index they partner with with Morningstar, the wide moat index. And thus, they have an equal weight across their 50 or so stocks. And they're still adding more return than the S&P 500 and plus markets and providing downside protection in, in bad markets. Now, past performance is not indicative of future returns, but when making investment decisions, you can't just purely look at returns because just looking at returns will get you burned in certain markets. It's, it must be a return plus risk, plus concentration, plus overall alignment to my goals, plus overall alignment to the other investments within my portfolio, the Ecclesiastes 11-2 rule. It must place itself on the efficient frontier. All that to say, this is the value of an advisor. When it comes up every year, it reminds us that on a surface level, investing can seem easy. And for many years, it has seemed that the easiest way or the best way is to do the S&P 500. But when the cookie crumbles and 25% or 45% of your cookie is just in one oven, whoo, that's going to get burnt. So that's why, again, index plus is our approach. It's still very low cost, but it takes into account risk. And that's an important factor that you always want to consider when investing is how much risk am I taking? Hard thing to quantify, but a good advisor can help you quantify that. So hopefully the four things in the market were helpful this week. We're coming up on the end of the year. That means we have two things that we would like to invite you to, one of which is our end of year tax planning webinar. Our end of year tax planning webinar will happen this very next week. If you'd like to be invited to that, please reach out to your advisor and your advisor can send you the webinar link and you'll be able to ask questions of our CPA, Mr. Cage Rush, who is phenomenal at what he does, as well as we'll do our end of year, what we learned in the markets this year, as opposed to this week, uh, which is always a fun one to do that we've done every year since we started this video series. So if you would like to meet with any of our financial coaches, you can go to the comment section of this video that will allow you to schedule a meeting with our coaches who help you in baby steps one, two, and three, or any of our financial advisors and planners who help you in baby steps four, five, six, so you can get to seven where you can live and give like no one else. As well, do us a favor, hit that like button and that subscribe button on Rumble or YouTube or wherever you're watching this, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever you're consuming the content. We appreciate it, but would you do that favor for us? That helps us get our content out to more people so that we can allow this data to seep into the minds of other people so that they 
and hopefully get great advice to help them again work those baby steps and get to baby step seven where you can make an impact for the kingdom of Christ. Thanks so much. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. 